Hi, San Diego. This is Abby Hamblin. And I'm Christy Totten. And I have some sad news to share. Unfortunately, this is my last episode of Name Drop San Diego. No, Abby, I'm going to miss you so much. I know. I, I am already missing you and this show. And it's really just been like such a cool experience. Not only have we talked to really cool people like scientists at the top of their field. We talked to an astronaut, uh, a rock star, uh, John Foreman of Switchfoot, shout out. So and <laughs> I just, I, I can't believe what a great experience it's been. And we've had some really emotional moments on the show too, you know, people sharing their personal stories. And I'm just really proud of what it has been. And I hope it continues on uh, in all its glory. Um, well, I think we will have new episodes for our listeners, but it's not going to be the same without you, honestly, Abby. Like, you're such an amazing journalist. You're so thoughtful. You're so, you know, kind and genuinely curious. And I'm, I'm going to miss, like, geeking out with you after the episodes about how amazing our guests are, which happens, like, often. Oh, that's so true. <laughs> that's one of my favorite parts of doing this show is Christy and I will get done with an interview. Obviously, we're doing them on Zoom because of the pandemic, but we will call each other and just chat about what just happened and get excited and share our favorite moments. So it's been great. And I'm really thankful to the guests who have joined us and for everybody who's listened. Uh, I hope you'll continue to support this podcast and support all of Christy's work at the UT, including her own show, San Diego News Fix. And follow Abby on her new endeavor. You can find her on Twitter where she'll probably make an announcement all about it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Thank you. Please follow along. But that's enough of that. Let's get to today's guest who is fantastic and deserves uh, her very own uh, spotlight. So absolutely, we do have a great guest. So our guest for this episode is Margaret Linen. She is the director of the Scripps Institution of Oceanography. She joined UC San Diego in 2013. And in addition to directing Scripps, she's been the vice chancellor for marine sciences and the dean of the School of Marine Sciences. She's had an amazing career as an oceanographer and leader in science, and she's deeply involved with the global efforts to understand and fight climate change. She's the founder of the Climate Response Fund and currently serves on the executive planning group for the UN's Decade of Science for Sustainable Development. Yeah, she's really had an amazing career. We can go on and on about her accomplishments, but we talked to her about a lot of this, so let's jump right in. Here's our conversation with Margaret Linen. You've been director of the Scripps Institution of Oceanography since 2013. Is there a nutshell way to describe what that job entails for people who don't know? Well, it's a big nut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, the, uh, so I'm responsible for the academic programs, the research programs, uh, the facilities uh, at the Scripps portion of the UCSD campus. Uh, for our marine facilities, our ships, uh, which go everywhere, uh, not just in the Pacific Ocean, but every ocean. I also have responsibilities um, in general for uh, guiding the university's strategic initiative in understanding and protecting the planet. And then uh, there are a lot of things that I'm asked to do in my capacity as director of Scripps. Uh, for example, I'm currently serving on the executive planning group of the UN Decade of Ocean Science for Sustainable Development. 
That is a lot of hats. And I think somewhere in there, you said something that was basically like, we were figuring out how to save the world. <laughs> like, so what, what understanding are, and protecting the planet, understanding and protecting the planet. Um, I mean, of those jobs, what are your favorite parts? Well, I think my favorite parts are the ones that allow me to uh, be talking with faculty and students uh, and others about their science. My favorite part of any day is when I have a meeting with people where they're going to tell me what they've been doing and tell me about the science itself. It really is. It's the thing that I look forward to most. And I regularly have my assistant schedule uh, a half an hour meeting with, uh, with faculty, with researchers, uh, just to catch up with them. And uh, I usually have one of those every week or two. And they, of course, want me to know what they're up to. And in doing that, I get to hear about the incredible range of things that are being done at Scripps Oceanography. And it's really, it's amazing. And although our name is oceanography, we're actually involved in oceanography, climate science, atmospheric science, earth science, uh, a variety of environmental things that go on on land. Uh, we even have joint faculty appointments with the School of Public Health, with anthropology, uh, and of course with you know, physics and chemistry and biology. Is there any one thing out of all those things that you've been hearing lately or that you're kind of in tune with that's going on right now that you're most excited about or really excited that's, that's happening at Scripps? Well, one of the things that I alluded to was our work with health. And we're in the midst of uh, a major uh, development of what we call oceans and human health. And it's a focus on all of the ways that the ocean affects our human health. So if you Googled oceans and human health, what you would get is harmful algal blooms. And of course we experience those here in Southern California. And you would probably get something on seafood safety. Uh, but oceans and human health goes so far beyond that. Uh, so at one end of the spectrum, you have things like uh, new drugs that are being developed from molecules that we find in organisms in the ocean. And right now, uh, there is a compound from a marine cyanobacterium. It's a class of bacteria. And this compound... Uh, is one that attacks the capability of the SARS-CoV-2 virus to infect us. So it's actually going into clinical trials as a drug, not a vaccine, but a treatment for COVID-2, uh, oh. for SARS-CoV-2 and, uh, and the COVID-19 uh, disease. Uh, so that's something that you wouldn't expect us to be doing in oceanography, but we are. Uh, another uh, great example is our work on climate and human health. And we have uh, faculty who are joint appointees with the School of Public Health, and they are studying the ways that extreme heat, like the heat dome that we've mm -hmm. all been experiencing over the last uh, week or two, uh, the ways that those uh, create vulnerabilities for people. And we hear a lot about the fact that uh, the, the real problem with the uh, heat, extreme heat, 
uh, is that it doesn't cool down at night. So we don't cool down, so we don't get to uh, relax and rejuvenate, cool our body, uh, and so forth. And for vulnerable populations, whether those are the elderly or infants or people with underlying uh, immune deficiencies or underlying conditions, um, that's very important. And so we have been studying how heat events in the past have played out and what specifically has happened to people, as well as what has happened on the public health side to address those. So a very interesting thing that, uh, that our scientists found was that in taking care of the elderly during uh, times of extreme heat, a really important thing when you're thinking about, okay, let's get them all to someplace that's air conditioned is they don't wanna leave their pets. Oh, yeah. So yes, if it's dangerous for me, it's dangerous for my pet. I'm not going to leave my pet and go someplace without them. Uh, so this huge range of not only the ocean and human health, but climate and human health and all of the aspects of that uh, are up front and center at Scripps these days and very exciting. Yeah, that is an amazing range. Well, you mentioned you are studying things all over the planet, but I mean, is there an advantage to being here in San Diego? Well, definitely. Uh, for one thing, we have a fabulous port, uh, the Port of San Diego. And so it's home base for our research vessels and they go all over the world, but come back here uh, to San Diego. And the, um, the facilities there are just wonderful. Another aspect of San Diego is that it has a huge Navy presence, and we work very closely with Navy, um, not only on things right here in San Diego, but Navy's interests around the world. Uh, another big advantage for us in San Diego is that this has become what we call a blue tech center of excellence, uh, blue technology, uh, businesses related to the ocean, uh, whether those are sensors uh, and instruments for measuring the ocean, whether they're products that come from the ocean, whether they're services uh, that are related to the ocean. Uh, that is a huge piece of the economy of San Diego. And it's a piece that we interact with, with the companies, with the intellectual property uh, behind those companies, uh, and with new discoveries that they need. In doing research on you, we saw that you've either worked or studied in kind of like all four corners of the U.S. with Rhode Island, Florida, Oregon, San Diego. For you personally, uh, you may have to say San Diego, but do you have a favorite place uh, out of those four? Because it seems like you follow, you, there's been a pattern of always being near the ocean at least. Well, oceanographers like to be near the ocean. Yeah. And uh, each place has had its charms. Uh, I think that uh, San Diego's charm is certainly the just the incredible beauty of this area. Um, the weather's not bad either. And, uh, I, but I think the community uh, is so exciting here because of all of the things that I mentioned. And uh, that wasn't true at all of the places that I've been. Changing gears and going to your personal achievements, we read that you've done a lot of research with ocean sediment. I mean, what can we learn from the ocean uh, you know, floor that, that we benefit from here on the Earth's surface? 
Well, the sediments that accumulate on the ocean floor are like a tape recorder of what's going on in the ocean and to some extent what's going on in the atmosphere and, and the climate as well. And so we take sediment cores, essentially uh, big pipes that have a plastic liner and we lower them down to the seafloor and, uh, and either release that tube and bring it back or actually drill into the seafloor and bring the sediment back. And there are lots of uh, different things in the sediment that you can study. And the ones that uh, most people are aware of are the, the microfossils, the small fossils of uh, largely plankton that, um, that have formed on the surface uh, or li that live on the surface and then um, die and are uh, sink to the bottom and become part of the sediment. And since they are very specific to the, uh, the conditions that they're looking for, they tell us about those. Also, their chemistry, the chemistry of the little shell material uh, is, uh, it, uh, reflects the chemistry of the ocean. Uh, sometimes it reflects the chemistry of the atmosphere or the temperature as well. Uh, then there are also the non-fossil parts of what's in the sediment. Uh, so there uh, um, dust and, and material from land is transported by the wind out into the ocean. And that uh, tells us about what the weathering of the uh, continents was like, which is a key to climate. Uh, and uh, the source of the material and how large the particles are tells us about uh, where the wind was blowing and how strong the wind was. Uh, so just a, a enormous array of different things that you can learn from looking at the sediment. Well, we read that you have actually gone down via submarine to do some of this research. How much have you done that? And we're really curious, you know, what the visceral sort of experience of actually being, I believe it said you were on the bottom of the ocean. Yes. Uh, so I've uh, worked in two areas uh, in, in, um, uh, research submersible. One of those was just west of uh, Washington State, uh, where I was studying an area of seafloor spreading, where the um, the uh, uh, ocean crust moves apart and volcanic material from underneath moves up. So I was looking at the hydrothermal vents. Those are uh, the places where very hot water uh, that's heated up by the, that volcanic activity comes out and it's, it supports uh, a whole ecosystem around the hydrothermal vents. And so we were certainly looking at that, but I'm not a biologist, so I wasn't studying the organisms. I was studying all of the little particles uh, that precipitate in that water and then become part of the sediment. Uh, so I was looking at that and also um, doing uh, studies with cores away from the uh, spreading area to look at how that spreading area had uh, evolved with time. And that was very exciting because you're down there and you're looking out the portholes of the submersible at these incredible vent systems with all kinds of exotic uh, biology and, and uh, these very hot uh, springs. And because they're so hot, they, they move up in the water and and uh, 
uh, precipitate uh, crystals of, of material from them. Uh, so that was one area. And the other was, and, and that was at about uh, just over 2,000 meters deep. So basically, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so it's basically about 6,500 uh, feet deep. And then uh, the second area that I looked at was off of the Mariana Islands. And uh, that was to look at volcanic activity that was going on there. And that was at 4,000 meters. So that's about 13,000 feet uh, beneath the surface. And you, you actually, you don't sink like a rock. Uh, it's a controlled sinking. And so it takes um, about a little over an hour to get to the bottom uh, at 2,000 meters and the same time to come up. And it takes about two hours to get down to 4,000 meters. So you're there in the dark in the everything's dark around you and uh, you're trying to conserve energy in the submersible. So you have all the lights out except for, you know, all the little um, lights that are uh, in the electronics. And every once in a while they turn on the outside lights and you look, but there's, you know, there's not a lot to see. Uh, and I think that the most exciting thing for me was to have spent so much of my career uh, thinking about the bottom of the ocean because I studied the sediments and thinking about these processes uh, at mid-ocean ridges and everything. And then to actually be there and know that right outside that porthole, everything that I've studied is going on. And uh, that was just amazing. That is incredible. Uh, those depths don't even, like, I, I can't wrap my head around how deep that actually is. Um, I've seen tweets and stuff that say, like, forget space, forget NASA. We want to know what's going on at the bottom of the ocean. Do you share that sentiment? sentiment? Uh, and I imagine you do. And, and what are some things that you still want to know? Uh, absolutely. You know, um, when when you look out at, when the two of you look out at the ocean, you probably just see the ocean, you know, the water. Um, but for me, I see the image of the seafloor that uh, from, uh, you know, the maps that we make of the seafloor. And, and so I think of it much like the land. And those maps are not actually maps of the seafloor. They're, uh, they're made from satellite measurements of the gravity and the, and the Earth's gravitational attraction. And there are actually small, very small differences in the height of the, of the ocean over uh, features on the seafloor. And you know, we're talking about hundreds of millimeters. And those, uh, so the maps that you see of the seafloor are really not maps, they're inferences from space. And we would love to be able to actually map the seafloor because as good as those maps are, they're not perfect. And we often are finding things uh, on the, on the seafloor. And by things, I mean features and whatnot uh, that, that don't show up in any of those maps. So oh. being able to get down there. Uh, and, then, and then of course, you know, every time uh, a cruise goes out that, that is focused on biology, um, 
virtually everyone comes back with some new organism, uh, whether that's something that's really huge or whether it's a small worm or whether it's a, a new kind of uh, microbe. And it just tells us how little we know about what's going on in the ocean. So for me, all of those things are really exciting. How often does your work surprise you? You know, you set out to, to learn something specific, but I mean, how often do you find something you weren't even expecting? A lot. Uh, and when I, I, I told you that I love listening to um, the scientists at Scripps and the students at Scripps talk about their work. And virtually every piece that they tell me about is something that they didn't know uh, was there or something about it that they didn't understand before. They're discoveries. That they're going on every single day. And it's just a, a reflection of, and when you think about how many, we have about 120 faculty and we have about 60, 50, 60 research faculty and you know, three undergraduate students and all those undergraduate students, they're all doing research and every single day they're finding something that they didn't know. Fascinating. And as far as mapping the ocean floor, I mean, what has kept you from doing that? Is it a technology thing? Is it a manpower problem? Uh, it's not a technology thing now. We have great technology uh, for being able to map large swaths of the seafloor. But the ocean is a big place. And uh, if the US said it was going to map everything, it would take years. Uh, so there is a big project now that is a project of the UN Decade of Ocean Science for Sustainable Development that is getting all of the nations that do this mapping to come together and to, um, uh, to sort of join forces and generate that map. There, there are some uh, challenges. Uh, it's interesting, it's harder to map in shallow water than it is in deep, not because it's technically more difficult, but because we rely on um, the, the uh, sonar moving out in, in a line or a, a cone-like shape. And, be, and the deeper the water, the bigger the area that you map in that swath. So if the water is shallow, you're only mapping a narrow line. And you, again, you're sort of reduced to looking at lines in the ocean rather than huge swaths of area. Gosh, I hope that happens in my lifetime. I remember learning about um, Mariana's Trench in elementary school and just endless possibilities coming to mind. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so we have a lightning round just to get to know you a little bit better, if that's okay. Sure. Awesome. Okay. Starting with what is your favorite ocean animal or organism? Mm. Uh, <laughs> this is the hot seat. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not a biologist, so it's not, you know, it's not like, yeah. oh, I spent my whole life studying. Right. Um, I, I think uh, the anemone. They're just so beautiful and graceful and they play an important role. It's very hard to study them because it's hard to collect them. And uh, uh, I like the anemone. Good answer. What is your favorite way to spend time in or around the ocean, you know, for, for fun? 
Oh, for fun, it would definitely be snorkeling. Um, I'm not, uh, I have been a scuba diver in the past, but I'm not certified right now. So snorkeling is great. What do you think is the best uh, movie or TV series about the ocean or ocean discovery or maybe an adventure on the ocean? Uh, my favorite recent one is Octopus, My Teacher. I just saw that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I think that uh, it really conveys uh, the, the wonder, the, you know, the, the discovery. Mm -hmm. He was discovering new, something new about the octopus and how it lived all of the time. And I think that it, it was, of course, a beautiful movie. The videography was fantastic. It also, uh, you know, it, it allowed the, the nature of the, the fact that, um, you know, the octopus is both predator and prey. Uh, and that's true for, you know, for most of the organisms in the ocean. And so it kind of brought out that, that ecosystem. Uh, and then finally that, uh, you know, uh, life is real out there. Um, uh, the octopus doesn't have a very long lifetime. Uh, and, uh, and I think also the, the, just the interaction of the, uh, the person that was interacting with the, uh, the octopus. And, and of course there was quite a bit of anthropomorphizing the, the octopus, but still there was a real attempt to take it on its own uh, in its own environment uh, to be the stranger that came in and had to learn. I think that there's a lot of that that translates to other things that we study in the ocean. Yeah, that was a roller coaster of emotions as well. <laughs> um, what do you think you would be doing career-wise if you weren't a scientist? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, what I wanted to be when I was a little girl was a lawyer. Oh, and uh, uh, we have Perry Mason now, but there was a previous version of Perry Mason that was a black and white television show when I was a little girl. And uh, uh, I loved the fact that Perry Mason always won his cases and he <laughs> always helped people. And uh, and then uh, for me, it was very exotic. You know, he drew, drove a convertible. He wore sport coats. He drank martinis. Uh, and, you know, that was not, that was not my home life, you know, my parents <laughs> didn't drive around in convertibles and drink martinis. Uh, well, I, so, I saw that you went to um, University of Illinois for your undergrad. Are you from Illinois originally? I am. I grew up in Joliet, Illinois. Very nice. Speaking of the show, I think you're still, you're still helping people. Um, is there a, a book that was influential to you, uh, you know, growing up? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. And uh, I actually just saw it again. And it was, um, there was a series of uh, very small, thin, hardbound books on science. And one of them was on um, the solar system and planets. And another was on rocks and minerals. And I had both of those. And there, this uh, I just was just going through an old box of books uh, a month or so ago and came across this little book on the planets. 
And I had written all kinds of stuff in there, questions and whatever. And I think that in spite of this idea about, oh, I'm going to be a lawyer, uh, I was just intrigued by it at a very early age. And uh, I loved science. I loved the idea of it. Uh, I love the fact that it was so exotic, you know, the planets and the minerals. And, uh, uh, and uh, as a little girl, uh, I made sure that I got myself to the Chicago Museum of Science and Industry at least once a year. Um, and uh, it was my favorite museum. You should frame that. That's so great. You found it recently. Yeah. Very cool. Um, maybe this is the answer to this question, but what is your most prized possession? Oh, uh, no, it wouldn't be that book. Um, uh, uh, there are a couple. Um, so I'm, I'm at home and I'm looking over at the kitchen counter and there is a little uh, brown clay animal and uh, it's would be hard to figure out what it was. And that little animal was made by my son when he was in kindergarten and was uh, a Mother's Day present. And uh, it has always been on my kitchen counter from the day that, that he uh, gave it to me. And that's probably it. I love that. Is it a particular animal or is it an imaginary animal? Or it's, it's a creation of the artist, it sounds like. Uh, well, it's a four-legged <laughs> animal, but you know, and, and he, I don't know, he never said, oh, it's a dog or it's, we didn't have a dog, so it probably wasn't a dog or, you know, or it's a, a cow or it doesn't have a trunk, so it's not an elephant. Um, it's, it's kind of, you know, just uh, a general four-legged animal that a that child would, would make. That is so cute. Um, what is the, the best or most important lesson that you learned during the pandemic? Mm. I think the most important lesson I learned was how incredibly, incredibly resilient uh, everyone at Scripps is. And I'm sure it goes for everybody that watched their staff go home, set up shop at home and work remotely. And the, the thought that uh, people, you know, if, if you had said to people a month before, uh, could you do your job from home, never coming into the office, they'd probably say, most would say no. And yet here they did it. Uh, you know, faculty were teaching, uh, people that worked on financial accounts were doing that, people that were uh, responsible for communications were, you know, doing all our interviews and everything on Zoom. Uh, people that were, uh, that are involved, well, there are certainly people that, that couldn't do their jobs from home. But for those that did, it was just a remarkable change. And it just happened like that overnight. And uh, the resiliency and the commitment of people to, to do that when their kids are running around, uh, you know, demanding that they, you know, give them a snack right now, or that they help them with their, uh, their homework or getting onto class, uh, taking care of uh, other people that, you know, that you might be responsible for, uh, figuring out how you're going to get 
groceries and everything else safely for your family. I just, I was astonished at the resiliency of people. Last question in the lightning round, and this is okay if this is a longer answer because it's a big question. Uh, it's a two-parter. One is if money and travel and time and location and job description were no um, object, what would be the thing that you would love to spend your day in, day out research on? If you could have access to any vehicle, any budget. And then the second part is in your current job or in your current career, what's left for you to do? You've been so successful. You know, what interests do you have in, in continuing to pursue uh, the science and the work that you do? Well, uh, if time and money uh, and, and everything were no, um, no problem, I would probably want to uh, go back and learn uh, about uh, all of the new um, biomolecular techniques that are available and apply those to the ocean. Now, I said I wasn't a biologist, but I'm really intrigued by that. The idea that we can, um, can figure out what's there just from a little bit of DNA that, and you know, there's so many things going on uh, in the ocean that are being mediated by microbes or signaled uh, as a result of microbes. You know, we, we, we look at a coral reef and it's this beautiful, huge coral reef with, you know, the anemones swaying and the fish going around and everything. But sort of permeating through that are all of these microbes that are they're the microbiome of the organism. There are microbes in the water that are releasing um, enzymes and proteins and, and uh, you know, all kinds of chemicals. Uh, signs and signatures. And I think, you know, it's sort of like dark energy. Uh, it's the, it's the thing uh, that we haven't been looking at. And I would, I would equip myself to be able to do that and, and then start a whole new career. Well, it sounds like, yeah, you're in a good place to do that. Do you think that you'll end up ever, you know, dabbling or, you know, taking some courses? Well, I'm, I'm doing it vicariously. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, uh, uh, I've been uh, working with the UN Decade to organize uh, an effort uh, that would bring uh, all of the people in the world that study uh, biomolecules and that are interested in the ocean uh, together in some big efforts uh, to be able to um, develop the technology that would allow us to do those analyses on an autonomous vehicle, you know, a robot vehicle, um, and uh, uh, you know, not even have to go out on a ship, just do it and uh, send the data back to us. And also for um, figuring out uh, the strategy for looking at these charismatic areas and figuring out what's going on behind the scenes, uh, the microbes. I like to say that uh, the microbes actually run the planet. They just allow us to be around because we're good hosts for them. <laughs> That's good. That's so cool. That's like deep sea uh, um, secrets, deep sea sleuthing. Yes. Sounds like a cool, cool way to spend your time. Right. So I'm trying to find the people that are interested in doing this and then 
uh, facilitate them being able to take on this big project. And then I'll sit by and watch. And so final question um, is just, you've already done so much in your career, you know, it, it's been very incredible. You've had an incredible career. Is there anything else that you still hope to accomplish? Well, there are lots of things. Uh, and this, this thing with looking at biomolecules as an example, there, there are areas uh, of ocean science that people aren't paying a lot of attention to, uh, or there are capabilities that we need. Um, there's, you know, everybody talks about the internet of things, you know, and our refrigerator talks to our phone and everything. And uh, oceanographers dream about an, uh, an internet of things in the ocean. And they primarily focus on the things, like let's have a measuring device that does this, and let's have a measuring device that does that. Uh, and I have really been saying, you've got to think about the internet part of it, uh, because there is no internet underwater, uh, because uh, the electromagnetic spectrum, light, uh, we use light for uh, communicating uh, amongst all of these uh, things in the internet of things and light doesn't penetrate very well in the ocean. So we have to think up creatively about what our network looks like. Uh, so that's another thing that I've been talking a lot about. And, you know, if by talking about those things, I can uh, spur people to think about them and uh, maybe to say, oh, that, you know, I'm doing this thing. And, and that would be really interesting. Uh, all those people that that don't work on oceans, but hear something like that and say, oh, I've got some ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I hope to keep uh, setting little bonfires uh, to uh, maybe bonfires is a bad word. Uh, you know, shining water vents, uh, <laughs> shining lights yeah. on, on, uh, on issues like that and getting people excited about them. Thank you for listening to this episode of Name Drop San Diego. And of course, thank you, Margaret Linen, for joining us. Abby, we're going to miss you. Yeah, I can't believe I'm actually signing off right now. <laughs> this is my last moment on Name Drop San Diego. I'm going to use it to say, please go check out our many other amazing episodes. We've talked to so many interesting San Diegans. Um, the list is incredible and their stories are incredible. So if you like this one, share it with someone else. If you're interested in checking out more, go to your listening app on, you're on right now. <laughs>